there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. The most important work throughout the history of mankind has always been raising consciousness. It's also the work that is most needed because we are living in an animal body. We are part of the organic film on this planet, which means that all is connected on this planet, and it is, it is literally connected. Because of that, there's a very strong, powerful pull for us to be animals, because we are living in animal bodies. The idea of raising consciousness is based on the idea that we could develop on a line different from the animal, the organic film on the planet, the way that nature runs. So we could develop along a line that is different from the way nature is developing. Nature evolves, but we're talking about evolving in an entirely different direction. Rather than evolving on a horizontal timeline, we're talking about evolving vertically, raising consciousness and being able to get above the animal body that we're living in and actually have something higher control the animal body. So in a sense, it'd be like a circus. Life becomes like a circus, and, and you become a lion tamer. And the lion that you have to tame is your own savage self. Ospensky said, without the work done on mankind by conscious men, we'd be no more than barbarians. But that's not true because Ospensky said it. Ospensky said it because it was true. Ospensky observed the truth of that in mankind by looking at our history by bringing his consciousness, his awareness, to the timeline and looking at the timeline and observing what happened and observing history, he could see that we're no more than barbarians without the work that conscious men have done. So who are those conscious men, whoever they are? In every culture, in every epoch, there have always been men who are more conscious than the masses. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Jesus, Buddha, yeah, the, the list goes on. They're always Martin Luther King, Jr. There are always people who are a cut above in consciousness, that somehow something, they were influenced in some way, something opened up for them in a vertical way, in a vertical line, not along the animal line, but in a vertical way that lifted them above the savagery, the barbarism that the mass of humanity has lived in, and that their influence has affected other people and helped to raise them so that now we have flush toilets and now we have atomic weapons. Even though we have been raised, you remember that, that England was known for some very unkind practices with prisoners and, and criminals. They would disembowel them. They would have them drawn and quartered. They'd hang them. They'd All kinds of crazy things that they did. Now we look at it today in the world, in, in the civilized world, and we say, that's cruel and unusual punishment. That's, that's wrong. But it was conscious men who made other people aware of that, who started to bring us out of our darkness as a race, as a species, who started to lift us above the barbarism of our savage animal selves. Ospensky went on to say, behind culture is the threat of barbarism and always 
Conscious men are sowing at intervals influences into the world to lift man above the state of barbarism. So behind culture, what we call civilization, is always the threat of barbarism. It's lurking there. And it's not really a long way down. People don't have to drop very far to be in barbarism. And you can tell that simply by what mobs do when they get together. How quickly a group of people can turn into a savage pack of wolves, can turn into animals who begin to mindlessly do harm and damage, not only to other beings and property, but to themselves as well. The efforts take different forms at different times, these efforts of conscious men. But eventually, they're the same. Eventually, we see, as we raise our consciousness, that no matter what the form that it takes, it always has the same core. It always has the same source. It always has the same design, and it's always going in the same direction. It's a vertical direction, rather than a horizontal direction from past to present to future, horizontally. It's more of a vertical line that intersects at every now moment on the horizontal line. That's the influence that comes from above. And it is available in every now moment. So it's not available in the past, and it's not available in the future, but it is available now. But we would have to be here now to access it. And the problem is, is we have difficulty being here now. We spend more of our time in the past and then a lot of our time in the future planning for something that may or may not happen. In the past, we've seen faith, hope, and love sown on the planet into humankind by more conscious people. And now we see consciousness being sown into the world of man. I think this is the thing that Eckhart Tolle woke me up to, this dawning of the age of consciousness for him, the flowering of consciousness, flowering human consciousness, the whole idea that people are ready now to expand their consciousness, to become aware of things. And I've said it does seem to be easier to share these ideas with people than it was when I started this nearly 40 years ago. It doesn't mean that it's still a big movement. It's not like this groundswell movement, like it's not as, as popular as soccer. It's not as popular as football or basketball or baseball. And it may never be. But the fact that some people are more open to having their consciousness raised, I think that's what he's pointing toward, that there are a number of people who are open. And the number who are open is a greater number than it has been in the past. Now, I think that that's true. I think that there may have been times in the past when there have been greater numbers of people who are open to having their consciousness raised, open to the influence of conscious people. There have been times when conscious people were ridiculed and murdered. Conscious people are still ridiculed and murdered, but in such large numbers that it was hard to keep a conscious person alive on this planet. Now, there are people who actually seek them out, and it's not to kill them. It's seek them out to learn from them. There's an interesting difference between Eastern psychology and Western psychology. That difference, the primary difference is that in Eastern psychology, they think that man can become more conscious. But in Western psychology, we take it for granted that man is conscious, and they don't see layers of consciousness as easily as the Easterners have traditionally seen it. They have always seen it as consciousness as this process of flowering, of growing, is expanding. Where Westerners have looked at it like, well, I'm conscious, now what can I get? 
I'm conscious, what can I build? I'm conscious, how can I get some more money? I'm conscious, how can I get what I want? Slowly we're beginning to understand here in the West that more consciousness is available. It started for me in the 60s when the whole Timothy Leary thing went on and LSD and people started talking about expanding your consciousness. And it's like the whole concept was different. When they came up with words like psychedelic, everything just began to shift at that point. Everything began to change at that point. It was like something was happening. And people started to become aware that there were people on the planet who were more conscious, that knew things that they didn't know, and that those things were important, even though they weren't big money makers. Although when the West got hold of it, they made it big money makers. So then consciousness became a big money maker. But in the East, it wasn't like that. Hope fails because man gives up at hope and stops working, expecting some future state, heaven. Western Christianity pretty much is the basis of Western psychology. We start off thinking we've got it all here, and now all we have to do is not ruin it here, and then if we die and we're still not spoiled, then we'll get a future reward in heaven. The whole idea is pretty strange when you think about it. How unspoiled can you stay here? It's like this is the big test area. This is the, the rot pot where you're tempted, tempted, tempted to do all of these things to spoil your virtue, to spoil your purity. You just have to hold on somehow, hang on, white knuckle, till you die. And then if you didn't lose it all, then you get to go to heaven. Whereas in the East, they say, well, it's not really like that. You're born how you're born, but then the world does pollute you. But it's your job to purify yourself from that. It's your job to lift yourself above that and to somehow expand and to grow into something bigger and purer and better. So their, their idea is the lotus. The lotus root grows in nasty, smelly, stinky mud. And the lotus flower rises up above that, and it floats above that, and it is pure white and delicate. And they say, this is what we're like. We have our roots in this stinky mud, this flesh, this savage barbarism. But we are capable of flowering into this lotus, this pure, delicate, otherworldly thing that it looks like it could never come out of the mud, but that the mud nourishes and supports. But we have to know how to flower. It's really a beautiful idea when you think about it, compared to the coarseness of our own culture and society. Yes, you're born into this, but it's okay because you can make a lot of money here and, and have a lot of good stuff and build a big kingdom and then you know, and if you give some of it away before you die, then maybe you'll get, you can go to heaven and, and then have a lot of stuff there, too, and have a big kingdom there, too. So the whole thing is just really bizarre when you think about it. It's kind of barbaric. But the Eastern idea of, you know, you could become more, but it's something completely different than the mud in, that you're rooted in. It's this delicate, pure flower that you can unfold into if you'll take this vertical line of development. When I say hope fails because man gives up at hope, what I mean is, at hope, people stop. So they hope they're going to have a better afterlife. So they give up doing anything about it here. So hope fails us. So when I say faith, hope, and love have been sown into the world, Gurdjieff said they failed. I disagree. I don't think they failed. I don't think they're finished. That's how it appears to me. That consciousness is needed to develop faith, hope, and love in the higher forms. Because I think that when hope fails, it's because it's the wrong hope. When faith fails, it's because it has degenerated into belief. When love fails, it is because it has never really gotten out of the bud stage. 
into the flowering stage. I think that there's much more to faith, hope, and love than we have yet seen. And I think that consciousness is the key to developing faith, hope, and love. That those four things have to be developed together. And from my perspective, that is the purpose of the fourth way. To develop those four things together. Faith, hope, love, and consciousness. That that is the key to unlocking our potential. To unlocking the bud and allowing ourselves to flower. Allowing our consciousness to flower. Progress can only be made by realizing what we are now. We are not fully conscious and as a result we are not able to do. So faith, hope, and love have to do with doing. Love, if it's going to be love, it's going to have to be expressed. You're going to have to do something about it. What good is faith if you don't have works? Well, it's no good. What good is hope if you don't have something higher to hope for, to reach for? If you can't hope that you can develop, if you can't have faith that you can develop, and hope that there's something that will help you along that line, then where are you with it? It just is kind of stagnant, and then it winds down. And I think that's why faith, hope, and love have failed in the past, because they've been allowed to run down. They haven't been nurtured with consciousness and sparked and allowed to continue. It's like a plant. If you don't water it, it withers and dies. But it's also like a seed. If it withers and dies, it can be watered and brought back to life. So I think that consciousness is the thing that we are to be working on in this time. And I think that that's what's being sown in humankind today, is consciousness. I think that conscious people are joining together in consciousness and through their efforts, raising us and making things easier than they are without that assist. It's kind of like people who are heavy or damaged, they have their limbs damaged or something, they need to get exercise, but they can't exercise because they're either too big or their joints aren't working or whatever, and they put them in water, they put them in pools, they're more buoyant and so it's easier for them. It's like that. It's like the watermark is being raised for our consciousness and it's easier for us to develop in consciousness. Now, this is historically always what happens in bad times on the planet. I think it would be fair to say that we're in bad times on the planet. And so this is historically exactly how it works. And what I say is this is exciting. The more insane people are out there, the better it is for people who want to raise their consciousness, the people who who want this lotus blossom to flower. If we can begin to see this simple fact that we're not fully conscious, and because of that, we're not fully able to do it, our consciousness is already raised slightly. We know that one thing leads to another. Once your consciousness is raised slightly, that has to lead to more light. That has to lead to more relaxing. That has to lead to an opening, a flowering. And when it does, then more is available. And one thing leads to another. And when that becomes available, then more is available. The downside of this is every time there is a growth, there's an expansion of consciousness, there is also room for something in your past that you have not dealt with to rise to the top so that you can deal with it. A lot of times they call that discharging, and it is discharging. You get an opportunity to discharge something from your past, some contracted area of your life, some kidney stone or gallstone or like that, and it can pass. And the passing of it can be painful, but it can pass. And that's exciting to me, and I hope it is to you. Not the painful part, but the passing part. Only in the state of objective consciousness Will we ever see things as they really are? This is what it means to be awake, to be fully realized. 
is to be in a state of objective consciousness where we can actually see things as they are. Now, we cannot see things as they are. We can't see things as they are because our consciousness hasn't expanded. So in a sense, it's like the aperture of a lens. Until the aperture of that lens is fully expanded, it cannot let all the light that it can receive into the film or the receptive plate that the light falls on. The more we can open that lens of our consciousness, the more light we can allow in. And until we can allow all the light in, we can't ever really see things as they really are. We'll always see some picture of it, but we won't see it. We won't know the reality of it. Of course, the lens and the film thing breaks down here. You have to just not pay so much attention to the words and reach for the meaning. And you can't reach for the meaning with your mind. You need to reach for the meaning with your heart. You need to reach for the meaning with your intention. You need to reach for the meaning with your hope, with your faith, with your love. If you'll do that, the meaning will meet you halfway, easily halfway, probably more than halfway. Only work in the now will get us something. What you did yesterday is what you did yesterday. And as sad as it is, that is not going to be your work now. It will support your work now. It will make your work now easier if what you did yesterday, you did consciously, you did rightly. It is never lost to you, but you can't eat yesterday's bread. Well, you can, but if you have fresh bread, why would you want to? And so each moment, we need to be eating our fresh bread. We need to be eating and taking in the impressions in this moment and working with this moment now. There's a time to work with what comes up from the past. And that's the time when your consciousness has expanded to the point where it can come up and then you can pass it. You can let it go. You can do with it now what you couldn't do with it then, which is accept it and allow it to be rather than resist it. It's impossible to understand this work without doing it. If there is an Achilles heel to the fourth way, this is it. You can intellectually learn about this work and never do it. You can teach it. You can write books about it. You can give lectures about it. You can wow audiences with your knowledge of it, but you cannot understand it. You cannot take it into yourself, and it will not change your being unless you do it. Most people are hearers only and never get around to doing. Doing here really refers to not doing, because the thing about the work is if you can't do, and of course that's not entirely true because it's not absolutely true. If it were absolutely true, it would be impossible for you to move at all. But remember what Gurdjieff said about the violin and the violin case. It's possible, even in a violin case, to get a little bit of movement. And so it's possible, even though you can't do, to get a little bit of movement, and one thing leads to another. Uncritical observation of oneself must replace critical observation of others. It's that simple. And that is not going to happen easily. I don't care where you go today. If you'll sit down around a group of people, you will find critical observation of others. It's in the air. It's in the water. It's in the earth. It's everywhere around us. There is no place that you can be where it is not. And the reason for that is because we love negative emotions and we love to blame others. And we hate the idea that what has happened to us that we don't like, we caused. It must be someone else's fault. It must be something else's fault. It must be the government or the terrorists or this race or that race or this gender or that gender or this party or that party. It's insane, but it's where we live. Only when uncritical observation of oneself replaces critical observation of others will we see the truth of this work internally where it really matters. There are people who know way more about this work than I do, lots of them. 
I don't know that they understand it better. But if I have a choice between knowing about it and understanding it, I'll choose the latter. I'd rather understand it than know more about it. Because if you understand it, you can extrapolate about it. You can see what comes next. If you understand how to drive a car, you can get in that car and drive it. If you know about driving a car, but you don't understand how to drive one, you're not going to get far in that car, unless you know somebody who knows about it and can take you. But this work is self-development, so nobody's really going to take you. I can only carry you so far. There comes a point where if you don't do anything about it, you're left on the curb. You're not going anywhere. Now, you may open up a shop and start writing books and selling them about the work, or you might start doing lectures about the work, and other people might come and say, oh, yes, and then maybe one of those people will understand something about it from what you sold or what you gave or what you offered, and then they'll go, and they'll drive the car away. But you'll still be standing on the curb. So it's a matter of doing it. I ask you this. If man on this planet was properly conscious, could wars and political lies be as rampant as they are today? If you were properly conscious, would you enter into wars and political lies the way you do today? So you can see a little above yourself. And you can see that a little above yourself, a little above your state of consciousness, it's not the way it is for you. So that someone in a state of consciousness a little above yourself, let's take, for example, someone mentioned Martin Luther King Jr. Let's take Martin Luther King Jr. Okay, he was murdered for being above other people in consciousness. For seeing a world where little black children and little white children could play together for seeing a world where people made kindness and love more important than the color of someone's skin. He was murdered because he was threatening the status quo. He was threatening the savage. He was threatening the barbarian. And so the barbarian murdered him. And who was that barbarian? Well, it wasn't a man. It was a society. It was a level of consciousness. And that level of consciousness exists today. And the level of consciousness that Martin Luther King Jr. was at exists today. And higher levels of consciousness exist. And there are people at them. And I ask you, was your level of consciousness affected in any way by that of Martin Luther King Jr.? Let's hope it was the right way. <laughs> Let's hope it was to expand it. Because some people, their, the effect it had on them was to contract them even more. I think it would be fair to say that there's not a person in this room who doesn't know that impressions that fell on them today would expand them that in the past would contract them. Everybody's nodding their head. That's progress. That's growth. That's the flowering of human consciousness. That's what we're about. Somebody said, well, what's the difference between your group and our group? And they said, well, our group is eating the apple, and your group is just looking at it. And I thought, well, that's, that's an interesting way to look at it. If you can get nourishment and expand your consciousness just by looking at the apple, okay. If you're expanding your consciousness, and you tell me that you are, since impressions fall on you today that would have contracted you a year ago, but now expand you, then I would say something has happened, so somehow you have done something with it. And rather than judge another group, I think it would be more important for you to continue doing what you're doing. Rather than looking for the differences between you and someone else, I think it would be more important for you to continue uncritical observation of yourself rather than the critical observation of others. It shouldn't exist anywhere, but it exists everywhere. The critical observation of others exists everywhere. It's a very unpleasant, malignant habit, but it exists everywhere. And it's something you must overcome. You personally must overcome. You can't wait for someone else to overcome it. You must overcome it. You can't wait for someone else to be sitting at the dinner table and say, you know, 
we really need not to be talking about this whole political thing and who did what and whose fault it is. We need to be devoting our time and attention and energy to something that stops the leaks, well, not broadens them, not widens them, not makes them bigger. You can't afford to, let some, to wait for someone else to be the one to tell you that. You need to be the one because you're a self-developing organism and you need to develop yourself. doesn't mean you won't get help. You will. An increase in consciousness would lead to an entirely different line, an entirely different life for you and for mankind. An increase in consciousness can change your life. Now, you know that. You don't have to believe that because you have verified that an increase of consciousness has changed your life. There are people here sitting in this room today, it's really comical, who I, can, I met 20 years ago, and I said something to them 20 years ago that upset them. And if I were to say it to them today, they would laugh. Think back to that time 20 years ago and look at the difference in their lives and say, wow, who would have thought that life could be so different? That's my point. An increase in consciousness leads to an entirely different life for you. And it will for mankind. But that increase of consciousness has to come first. When others tell us we behave unconsciously, we won't believe them. We refuse to believe them. We justify ourselves. Actually, the truth is we're refusing to become more conscious. Here we all sit and we all want to become more conscious. But when someone points out to us where we're behaving unconsciously, we resist them, we won't believe them, we justify ourselves, and we refuse to become more conscious. It's really incredible, the contradiction, isn't it? It's because it's so difficult to see what we're like. And it's so difficult to see what we're like because we're identified with who we think we are. We have allowed ourselves to become identified with ourselves. And the first step in the fourth way to start to break that up is to see that you're not one. There is something about you that wants something higher, but there's also something about you that loves something lower and wants to roll in the mud. So again, back to the lotus. Your roots are in the stinky mud, but there's something that wants to flower above that. And as you identify with that, then you want to deny the stinky mud part of you. And as you identify with the stinky mud part of you, you, it's easier to deny that delicate flower, that pure delicate flower. But if you can see yourself as both at the same time, if you can see, yes, I'm both, and one nourishes the other, and that's okay, and let yourself be, you will rise to the flower effortlessly. That's why I say doing in this work is really not doing. No one's asking you to express negative emotions. I'm not asking you to repress them either. I'm asking you to let go of them, to not hang on to them. If you increase your consciousness, what was in the dark can't stay in the dark. That light has to make a difference. As you open the aperture of that lens, more light comes in, more is available, more is visible. The saturation of the color is greater. Everything becomes more alive. Everything becomes more real. Remember, objective consciousness is the only thing that will ever enable you to see things as they really are. Now we're living in this dream world, half light, shadows. But as we allow consciousness to expand, things become more real. As things become more real, you have fewer decisions to make. The decisions are made for you when the shadows are gone. I don't have to be afraid of that. Why? What's a shadow? Do you see that fear is what's running the world today? It's so obvious. It's so wonderful. I was talking to a financial guy the other day, and he said, people are behaving irrationally. <laughs> oh, man, did I laugh. How funny. People always behave irrationally, don't we? The only thing is in our rational moments, we look at it and go, how could I have been so stupid? How could I have been so irrational? Effort in the work is psychological. It's about remembering, not identifying. The truth about effort is unless it's effortless, it's not right effort. 
really isn't much effort involved in not identifying. The only time you really not identify is when you let go. Effort is involved in holding on to something, not letting go of it. You let go of something and you rise. It's like letting go of an anchor. You are naturally buoyant. You have air in your lungs and in your body. You're naturally buoyant. If you dive into the water and follow an anchor chain down to the anchor at the bottom, you can pull yourself down. But if you let go, you will just rise to the top. And that's how it is. This is effortless work. It's not about straining and white knuckling. It's just the opposite. It's about letting go. It's about allowing your true nature to lift you. Rather than doing, we need to stop identifying, stop inner talking, stop internal consideration, stop imagining that we're fully awake, stop allowing negative impressions to fall where they always automatically fall in us. All of these things that the work gives us to do is letting go, not getting more. And it's in the process of letting go that you start to rise, that you start to unfold, that you start to flower, that your consciousness begins to expand. It's not in the holding on. What is it you hold on to? You hold on to what you like. You hold on to what you think you need. And you do need those things. If you're a root in the mud, the root has to hold on. But you are more than that. And it's the more that you need to start thinking about. It's the more that you need to start looking toward. You need to start looking up. If you must make effort, then simply observe in yourself what you blame in others. But remember that our effort must be passive. Effort in this work is always passive. It's not active. It's passive. The active force is the ideas. So our passive effort, really, then, is effortless. Work effort is quiet. It's quiet and it's deep. It's not surface. It's deep. It's internal. Negative emotions are internal to you. They're not external to you. Negative emotions out there don't mean a thing if you're not sucking on them in here. It's only when you have a little pet negative emotion that you're sucking on internally that you are open to negative emotions from outside. You'll hear yourself say, well, that's right, and you'll see your finger point, and you'll notice your posture changes because you allowed something from out there to touch something in here that you're still nourishing, that you're still holding on to. Let it go. What negative emotion do you think you need? That's the one you need to let go. Another thing about work effort, it's quiet, it's deep, it's clear, it's never noisy, and it's not pretentious. When you see pretension, you see people pretending, that's not the work. The work is sincere and genuine. That's not the work. When you see pretense, that's someone who's working in false personality. They're not working in the work. And when you're pretentious, you're not working in the work. When you're lying, you're not working in the work. You're hiding. That's false personality. Noticing where you are internally is effortless. If effort does enter, you know immediately that you're identified because that sets up the opposition, the struggle. No, I can't be like that. No, I can't let anybody know I'm like that. No, I don't want to be like that. You see that all of that effort is all clinging to something. We're pushing something away, but in order to push something away, you've got to touch it. Letting go is just the opposite. It's letting it go. It's letting it be. It's getting your hands off it. Our effort is the passive noticing that makes us more conscious of ourselves to ourselves. When I say passive noticing, I mean exactly that. It's not an active noticing. It's an active noticing is a judgmental, critical noticing. Can you see that? But a passive noticing is just simply letting it pass. You see it? Yeah, there it is. So what? Well, but don't you know you're a terrible person? Well, of course I am. Look where I came from. You see that stinky mud down there? Those are my roots. 
Yes, of course I am. But I'm more than that. A lot more. You're just looking in the wrong direction. Separation from bad states is effortless because moving internally is a matter of non-identifying, not a matter of struggling. Out here in the world, we have to struggle. We have to make effort to move. To get from here to there, you have to do work. It's effort. It burns calories. But internally, it's effortless. All you have to do is let go, and you'll, you'll lift to your level. Just like water seeks its own level, you too will. Consciousness does as well. When negative eyes that inhabit our internal slums come for us, knock on our door, we see them for what they are, and we don't go with them. We don't grab them by the hand and say, oh, hi, how you doing? I haven't seen you in so long. Can you come out? And then they, they want to know, can you come out and play? And then you go, and you go outside and play. And it's over for you. You don't know when you'll get control of yourself again. You don't know when you'll come to yourself again. You don't know when you'll, you'll snap out of it again and see that you have allowed yourself to go with negative eyes, that you've allowed your energy to leak out, that you've allowed yourself to lose force. That's why it's important not to go with them. Change of being happens as a result of noticing our being, not identifying with aspects of it. You identify with the aspects of your being that you don't like. That doesn't bring about a change of being. But you notice all of your being, all of it that you can see, and allow light into it, and allow people to comment on it. How many people do you allow to comment on your being? They say that we're behaving in a way that is mechanical or automatic or unconscious. We don't allow them to speak into our life. We resist them. We justify. We refuse to expand our consciousness. I say allow it. Allow it. Accept it. Let it in. Don't identify with it. Say, okay, well, it's a possibility. I, I may not see it right now, but I'm willing to. Do you see the difference? That's passive effort. It's effort, but it's passive effort. It's the kind of effort we need to make. How many times have you been negative today? How often did you notice it rather than identify with it? How many times you were negative today? It doesn't really matter. Oh, I, let me see. It's only, well, it's, uh, it's almost 10 o'clock now. Uh, let's see. Well, I haven't really been up that long, so I haven't had a chance to be more negative more than 10 or 20 times. <laughs> but how many times did you not identify with it? Did you notice it and not identify with it? Well, 10 or 20 times. What about all the rest of it? Well, I don't know about that because I, was, I wasn't aware, so I didn't notice it, so I was just leaking. So you see, the only time that it's any good is when you know about it. But see, that's the thing. What we do is we criticize ourselves for that. How absurd. Oh, I was negative. So, did you notice it and then stop identifying with it? Yes, I did. Then you won. Success. Be happy. That's the point. Not, oh, well, she was negative less than I was. No, she wasn't. She just knew it less than you did. That's all. And if expanding your consciousness is the name of the game, then knowing about it is better than not knowing about it. Have you lifted yourself out of an unpleasant mood by noticing it and not speaking negatively about it? Just this little thing. Just noticing that you're in a negative mood and not feeding it, not speaking about it, not justifying it, not telling someone else about it. Just that alone separates you a little bit. And when you're separated a little bit from the anchor, that means you're raised a little bit. Your consciousness has been raised, which is what this work is about. This work is accumulative. Each work moment is added to the last, like grains of sand added to a scale. Eventually, they will tip the scale. Eventually, we will tip the scale from the savage to the sublime, if we keep working. What is that work? Passive effort. Ospensky said, nothing is more easy and useless than to be negative all day long. People get negative because life isn't going as they think it should. As I said, these are great times because if you look at the world, it's perfect. 
life is not going the way people think it should, and they are irate about it. They're angry and negative about it. Now, what I can say to you is, life is going the only way that it can possibly go. To be negative and angry about it is the work of simpletons. It's the work of sleeping people. It's the work of the unconscious. Your duty, in my opinion, as a conscious or more conscious person, is to sow seeds of consciousness in the world, not of unconsciousness. And negativity is unconscious. Life is going the only way it can. Observe how it always has and that people say but can't do. People all talk about what should happen in the world. Well, this guy should get elected and these people shouldn't do that and these people shouldn't do this. But none of them can do anything about it. All they can do is talk about it. But they can't do anything about it. So, life happens the only way it can. What use is it to expend our energy being negative about life when it's all happening the only way it can? Remember that if it is, it's done. It's the economy, stupid. Well, it is. That means it's over. It's done. There's nothing to do about that. Accept it. What's next? What effortless state will improve the now? Well, the state of non-identifying, the state of confident expectation, the state of hope that there is more for you and that there is help for you if you can bring yourself in the right neighborhood to receive the influences. This is our work, and it can only be done consciously because awareness is the door to the present moment, the only moment in which we can be. And if you want to raise your level of being, you have to do it now. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.